Good morning, this is Tim Carter, and welcome to Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. Let's Talk is a one-hour program devoted to issues and developments that are of importance to Sedalia and the surrounding communities. With each hour dedicated to a subject, many times with expert guests joining the hosts, Let's Talk can probe deeply into the issues of the week. Let's Talk is hosted by Ron Tolner, John Meehan, and Tim Carter. Good morning and welcome to another Let's Talk. I'm Ron Toller and with me in studio today are my old compadres, uh, Tim Carter and John Meehan. We have a uh, very good program uh, this morning. Our guest in studio is uh, Miss Danielle Lauder, who is director of the local first response system, more commonly known as uh, 911. And you think about it, uh, our first response system, 911, is actually the first responder of the first responders uh, because uh, that is what sets everything in motion as far as uh, answering needs of the uh, public. Um, as I said, Danielle is in studio with us today, and I think we'll start this out uh, with just uh, getting a little bit of history from you, Danielle, what you've done in the past, uh, educational uh, issues. If you want to talk about family, that's fine. But uh, tell us who Danielle is. All right. Thank you for having me this morning. Uh, I have been a resident of the Pettis County area for more than 20 years now. I hate to say that because it ages myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've been local to the Benton and Pettis County areas, serving in the public safety communities, specifically in 911 in both areas. Um, I am a graduate of the Cole Camp High School. I have uh, two associate's degrees from State Fair Community College, uh, one being in criminal justice, another in general education. I have a bachelor's in law enforcement, as well as a master's certificate in homeland security and counterterrorism. So I have been in 911 specifically more than 10 years. I started as a dispatcher with the Sedalia Police Department when I was a kid. I was 20 years old and fell into it completely by accident because I realized as a young mother, I needed a career. I needed a job. And they provided me that opportunity. I had originally applied to be a secretary for the police department, not knowing what I was actually applying for. And uh, Chief Litchauer at that time called me a couple weeks later and he said, I'm sorry, I'm not offering you this job, but I have this other job that I think you're more suited for. And that's how I fell into 911. Most people coming into 911, they're recruited by accident. They wake up not knowing what 911 is and they end up finding a career. Well, I also know, and I don't recall if I saw this in your resume or where it was, but uh, in between your 911 experiences, uh, I, I saw where you had an interesting position. Now, I want to hear a little bit about that before we dive into 911. And I'm talking about the Special Investigative uh, Defense Counterintelligence Security Agency. Yes. I read that and I thought, oh, we got a spy here. <laughs> Yes, I was a uh, special investigator level two for the DCSA. I conducted special investigations associated with the suitability of employment or background investigations. 
whether it be for initial employment or if there were questions of suitability for someone to continue in their employment. Uh, that is a contracted position across multiple federal agencies, and it was a fun job. It was great. It's a great title. It, I mean, it, it's, it's an impressive hard, title. It's kind of hard to get it all out of your mouth at one time, but uh, yeah, it is an impressive yes. title. Uh, it was a fun job because we were allowed to travel uh, TDY for 30 days at a time, and I would spend 30 days out on the road and come home for 30 days. And I got to see many unique places in the country. I got to work with many interesting agencies and people. The travel made it difficult, uh, being a mom, being um, centered around my family. I was looking for something closer to home. And I found very early in my career that I have a heart for service and I want to serve my community. And the opportunity with joint communications became available and it piqued my interest to return to 911. And there we go. Brings us back around to 911, of course, which is our subject today. Um, I, uh, I'm going to ask John Meehan to step in here in just a second to talk about the origination of the 911 system because I know he was uh, uh, involved with that back at the time. Um, in connection with that, though, uh, can you talk a little bit about how things were handled before 911, then the institution of 911 coming on mm -hmm. board, and what I'll call the old 911 system, and now the current new 911 system. Right. And maybe before we get in, well, first off, just talk to us a little bit about pre 911. And John, if then you'd step in and talk about what got us into the 911 system. <laughs> Prior to 911 services, communication with public safety was very difficult, cumbersome, and it would delay response because the request for a response was delayed coming into public safety. And 911 originated as a way to speed that communication and make it easier for those access points. So I think our listeners want to know why was it delayed? And was that not because the actual 911 call went somewhere else before it came here? Was it in Lincoln or Clinton, or there was a, another dispatch service that was set up outside of the county? Or is this even before we had a dispatch service? Okay. So prior to our current systems, the 911 calls were directed based upon someone's geographic location. Mm -hmm. Landlines were directed based upon their physical location. Okay. Cellular calls were based upon the towers that they hit off of. Pinged on, sure. And they were directed to whatever public safety answering point is responsible for that geographical area. Okay. Prior to our current system in Pettis County, there were actually two PSAPs, one sitting at the Pettis County Sheriff's Office and one sitting at the Sedalia Police Department. Mm -hmm. Because there were two different PSAPs, there was a lot of calls that were misrouted. And that doesn't even include the calls that were misrouted to neighboring jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. If someone was close to a border, they always had the possibility of going to another county okay. to be answered. Mm -hmm. So 
whenever those calls are misrouted, it delays services because then you have to transfer that call to the appropriate jurisdiction for processing. Now, being with a unified 911 center, all of the calls within Pettis County, whether they be landline, VoIP, or the cellular calls that hit off the towers that are designated for Pettis County, they're all routed to the same location and they all receive the same service in the same time fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> the originally, um, as Ron alluded to earlier, I was uh, had the opportunity to serve as a as a commissioner, and uh, the initial talk and they those talks had were started before I got there. But we continued those talks all through 2011 to the end of 2014, uh, and I was impressed with the information that I was getting in that there could be tremendous amount of synergies by having it all in one central dispatch location. Uh, and also sharing those expenses with the city and the county working together and the other agencies. So, uh, so tell us a little bit more about that whole process. Coming from the historical systems where I did previously work for the Sedalia Police Department mm -hmm. and working inside of the system where there were two separate answering points, mm -hmm and now working with a system where there is one. I see a greater continuity of care to the community in that the that care is consistent. Mm -hmm. Those calls are not transferred, that the community's needs are met immediately mm -hmm. based upon whatever they are presenting to us. We're able to communicate more effectively with our responder agencies and the communication between them is increasing and improving. That level of cooperation is amazing, and it's serving the community so much greater than what it has, has historically been. So to follow up, Danielle, with a, a little bit more John's subject here and the uh, going back and looking at the pre-today 911 system, Maybe give us an example of how it worked then and the the pitfalls of it and what has been improved so much since. Okay. I can actually speak from personal experience on this. I am a resident of Pettis County. I have been for several years. And prior to the unification of the 911 services between the two agencies, there was a medical emergency at my residence. And... Because I lived outside the city limits of Sedalia, Pettis County was the answering point for my original call. They did not practice emergency medical dispatching, and they were forced to transfer my call to the city of Sedalia, where they did practice EMD services to then dispatch PCAD for my situation. And I technically know that that transfer took seconds. I logically understand. However, being the caller in that situation, it felt like it took forever. And as the customer in that service, it was difficult for me. The care that was received was excellent by both the emergency medical dispatcher as well as the Pettis County Ambulance District, and the situation resolved to the benefit of everyone. Currently, there is no need to transfer. 
those medical calls under one unification, regardless of where someone lives in the county of Pettis or the city of Sedalia. Every operator who answers the phone is a certified emergency medical dispatcher. They comply with the International Academy of Emergency Dispatching certifications, expectations, and we process all of those calls locally. And we have within a, on average, 60 second dispatch time. Thank you. That I think really does a good job of further elaborating on where we've been versus where we are and how much better we are at, at that point. So you being director of 911 here locally, and I'm going to use that term instead of central dispatch because I'm sure my tongue will trip numerous times if I do that. But 911 as director, what's a day in the life of uh, Danielle with regard to 911? I have to plan flexibility in my everyday schedule because every agency that we serve will have questions they will have needs that have to be met quickly the members of the community will have needs and questions that i am expected to respond to as quickly as possible but above that my employees if they have immediate needs that I may jump onto a console so that someone may need to leave unexpectedly or call volume increases and it demands that another person come in. So I schedule flexibility on top of quality control, policy, training. There's thousands of administrative aspects that I have to factor into the day and the week. So when we talk about your supporting team members and the functioning of 911 altogether, um, I, I remember you gave a presentation at the last uh, Sedalia uh, Citizens Police Academy, uh, which was an excellent presentation, by the way. Thank you. But I remember in particular, you talked about, uh, we find the right person, we'll mm -hmm. train them. It's not like you tap somebody on the shoulder and they come in and they're ready to go from day one. Generally, they come from other diverse backgrounds and uh, and, and then you train them as, as they need to be. Talk about the recruitment process and the typical kind of a person that you've got working on your team. Like I said, no one wakes up wanting to be a 911 dispatcher. No one. Not one single person I have ever met in the industry has set that out as their goal. We've all fallen into it accidentally or have been recruited. Some of my best operators have actually been recruited from fast food chains. Their ability to talk on drive-through headsets and their ability to multitask and the quick, the speed that goes along with that industry makes someone with that experience actually well-suited for what we do. They have that customer service goal. They understand that aspect of it. We do subscribe to a national testing platform that all operators are required to complete and they must pass to proceed into our testing process and to enter into the hiring pool. Um, the test itself gauges their multitasking ability as well as their memorization, their recall, and their decision-making skills. So with regard to the, to the overall system that you're a director of, 
basically, who do you answer to? I answer to two different entities. We are part of the county. We are a county entity, and we also have the 911 advisory board, which is composed of five members, which is the chief of police, the Pettis County Sheriff, the Sedalia Fire Chief, the Pettis County Ambulance District Chief, and one member appointed by the county commission. So basically, it's it's somebody from each of the major first responder groups. Yes. to Let's Talk, and we're in our second segment, and Daniel, we really appreciate you being here this morning and as director of our central dispatch system. Um, and we, we've talked a little bit about the history of this here, but some of this was financially motivated, uh, and I can recall that uh, the original uh, support for that was uh, a tax on landlines. And I think we all know what happened to landlines when everybody, when cell phones are now the most popular. And so that money was basically drying up. And then there was a successful lobbying effort with the folks in Jeff City that allowed counties to then execute uh, another a tax that covers the cell phones also. So it's the same concept, only a different phone system. So tell us how that all kind of came about and where we're at with that now. All right. So we actually process almost 110,000 calls for service on an annual basis. Of that 110,000 phone calls, less than 2% of those calls are actually traditional landline services. Prior to the move to an any device fee, 911 was funded by a tax on those landlines. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with less than 2% of our call volume coming from that source, those funds would not support the services that we have available to us today. Every county has an option of declaring their own funding source for 911. So what we have here in Pettis County is not the same source as Benton County or Johnson County or any of our neighbors. Locally, we subscribe to an any device fee, which has been passed through the state of Missouri as an option for any county choosing to participate in that. And that tax is basically $1 on each device that can access 911, paid for or subscribed to the carrier for that. Um, personally, my cell phone plan has three lines on it, two smartwatches. My tax is $5 per month because I have five devices that can access 911. Elaborate on that. When you say five, what, what are the five? I have three cell phones and two watches because my watches have the ability to access 911 and each cellular device can access 911, I pay $5 per month. So the amount I pay will be different than someone else. If they only have one line, 
they will pay $1 per month. If they have a line and a watch, they will pay $2 per month. So it's based upon the number of devices that can access that. Locally, this particular fund source is producing just over $400,000 per year for local in-county use, specifically for 911. In addition to that, the agencies that we serve also contribute funds to 911 to help ensure we have the adequate funding sources that are required for our agency and to help support the responders. So when you say that the other uh, the organizations that, that you support are supporting you, I'm sure we're talking fire, we're talking police. What, what else? What are the other agencies that are contributing money to 911? That would be the City of Sedalia for police and fire, the Pettis County Ambulance District for EMS, and the county itself contributes for the Sheriff's Office and the volunteer fire departments that serve the remainder of Pettis County. So all four entities contribute funds. So is it safe to say that the two primary revenue sources are those that you just mentioned from the other agencies plus the tax? Yes, we also receive a prepaid tax on phones that uh, use prepaid services versus a traditional postpaid subscription. Uh, that fund line does produce funds to Pettis County. However, it's minimal compared to the other sources of revenue. 911 funds are unique in that we are restricted that our funds cannot be spent on any other source. Any funds allocated for 911 services are directly 911 services. Our funding cannot be rerouted to any other line item. So that covers this on the revenue side. Then on the expenditure side, um, I'm assuming primary expenditures are personnel and uh, equipment and maintenance. You are correct. Our salary is approximately 74% of our annual budget, which is on par for an agency of our size. A lot of agencies will spend approximately 72 to 78% of their annual budget specifically on salaries. Excellent. The remainder of that is going to be in contractual services, maintenance, technology, and the support of the system itself. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a summary of, of, of the uh, operational money side. Let's jump back into the actual operation of 911 itself and maybe walk us through one or more, whatever works as far as uh, the information that, that you want to get out there. But a typical 911 call and what happens, maybe there is not a typical 911, but what happens uh, when it comes in from the moment you, uh, you or one of your team members uh, pick up that call, what happens? You are correct. There is no typical 911 call. Every single call is different. Every single caller is different. We have a answering average time of five seconds as the expectation. Our actual average answering time is 3.2 seconds. So we answer very quickly. The very first item that we're going to be asking for is the location of the emergency. 
So many people do not know where they're at when they're traveling or even if they're stationary. Uh, that is always the very first question we're going to ask because if we get no other piece of information, that's the most important piece. So at the time the call comes in, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the 911 system is also identifying to you where the call is coming from. So what I'm taking from this is they're actually verifying what you're what you're seeing on your system. That is correct. The reason why that's important is because with VoIP lines, people don't update their addresses. We have had people that have transferred VoIP lines from other states, and when their call is routed into Pettis County, because that's where they live now, the address will display as whatever their previous address was because they failed to update that information. Now, we have to question, is that a misroute, something wrong in the system that made us get that call, or is it a true Pettis County call and the display is incorrect that we need to update from there? You might uh, explain a little bit more for our listeners the, the concept of uh, VoIP, V-O-I-P, what that really means, because I'm sure a lot of people don't know. Right. I do apologize. VoIP is Voice Over Internet Protocol. And that is the phone system that you bundle with your internet or cable or satellite, a home phone that does not have a traditional landline attached to it. And the information that a lot of people use whenever they set up those services, that's what is used as their home address and what is displayed whenever that phone line calls 911. But with the mobility and portability of those numbers, you can take those numbers anywhere. The information of location doesn't always update following that. And there again, so the the, the need of that verbal confirmation yes. uh, with you as far as where they're calling from uh, mitigates the potential danger that that might cause. Correct. So the location is the most important aspect. And then we're going to ask for a phone number because if we get disconnected, we need to be able to contact that person back. And so many people don't know their phone number. We routinely, whenever we ask for a phone number, the answer is, I don't know. Let me look that up. So knowing location and phone number are the two most critical points in a 911 call. Locally, we subscribe to the International Academy of Emergency Dispatching Protocols for Police, Fire, and EMS. We are one of the few agencies in the area that subscribe to all three disciplines. And these protocols dictate the terminology and order of questions that we will be asking whenever a call is presented to us. The terminology and wording that we use are designed to elicit the quickest response and they are ordered in a way to provide the safest scene for our responders as well as providing adequate care for the community at the same time. So the best advice I could give to anyone whenever they're calling 911 is Understand, we have questions that we have to ask, but it's actually for the benefit of everyone involved in the situation. And I don't know, 
is an appropriate answer whenever we get into the line of questioning for that. So back to the location thing, you know, I can, with the landlines and the VoIP, it ties you to an address. What about cell phones with being such a big part of communication? Somebody, you know, I've, I've wondered this sometimes too, driving down the road, you know, if I get in a wreck and I don't know where I'm at, you know, what's ways that maybe you guys have to help locate an individual? I mean, with a cell phone, does it tie them to their home address? Can you kind of have a general idea from the tower? With cell phones, we actually have a service within our center that did not exist in either PSAP, the Sedalia Police Department, or the Pettis County Sheriff's Office prior to our stand-up that actually gives us the ability to pinpoint someone on their map with fairly accurate location information on that. Um, we can actually breadcrumb people and see the direction that they're going. We still like to try and verify that that's correct because it's technology and technology can fail. However, the old school way of determining cellular location is by triangulation and you must hit at least three cell phone towers to determine one location. Is that still the case today? Yes. Okay. So it gets you close. But, it gets you close. But obviously if, if you're having to triangulate with three, uh, you could still be any number of places within that triangulation. Yes. Or whatever that word is. Okay. Right. Uh, I can tell you that over the years, the industry has seen vast improvement in technology in that we used to be able to just see an area or know what tower was the primary hit. But we can pinpoint someone at this point oftentimes within feet of where they may be. Excellent. So let's go back to a typical call. Okay. You've, you've uh, uh, verified uh, their phone number. You've verified where they are. Uh, when you get into the meat of what the issue is, how do you handle it? We're handling most of those calls through the protocols designed to go with the flow and where that call takes us. The instructions that we give are based upon retaining the safety of the caller as well as any bystanders. Uh, an example of that is a traffic accident. If it's safe to do so, move the vehicle off to the side of the road and turn your flashing hazard lights on. So we're giving them the, if it's safe to do so instruction. segment of Let's Talk. Uh, I'm Ron Toller along with John Meehan and Tim Carter in our studios and our guest today is the director of the local 911 system, uh, Miss Danielle Lauder. And of course we've, we've talked about a number of things to this point in our first two sessions but there are a number of things we'd like to hit yet. Uh, let's, let's talk Danielle about uh, I ask you what a typical 911 call would be, and of course your response was, well, there is no typical one. And, and I understand that. Let's take another example. Let's say we've got a, a domestic abuse situation, and one of, the, uh, one of the parties calls into you and is concerned, is fearful for their safety. What do you do? Caller safety is a priority 
in 911, and it's a priority in joint communications. The questions that we ask and the responses from the caller will determine the next question that we ask or the next instruction that we give. And making sure that the caller is first physically safe is at the very top of the list. And that's one of the very first questions that we ask once we get past the location. That depending upon whether they answer yes or no to are you in any imminent danger, then we can give instruction for that person to get themselves to safety. And is that, there's an example, let's say you are concerned about their safety, you've got them on the line, you're talking to them, you keep talking to them, and you've probably already passed the situation on to, let's say, the police, so they can respond if need be. Correct. While we are processing the call, we're asking these questions, the community tends to feel like we're not sending them help. However, our average dispatch point is within 60 seconds of the phone ringing. I can dispatch, I say I, my team can dispatch responders while we're on the phone. And that does not hinder us from sending the appropriate help. However, we're going to continue questioning to ensure the safety of the caller as well as the responders. So when you talk about 911 and the calls that you get in, I'm sure that I don't know what your number is or percentage is, but you obviously get hangups, uh, call hangups. What happens in those situations? All hangups that come into Pettis County Joint Communications are going to be processed. None of them are ignored. We have a new technology to us that is in a testing phase at the moment. It is not formally launched yet, but we are starting to text back the cell phones that call 911 and for whatever reason are disconnected prior to that answering. So they are going to receive a text message indicating that we have received the 911 call and they can communicate back to us if they need to. From there, we'll attempt voice calls to that same number while we are dispatching law enforcement at the same time. All of those 911 hangups are dispatched to law enforcement for processing under their policies and procedures. So, same type of question, a little bit different as far as handling uh, calls go. You know, our community, we have more and more and more people who uh, have English as a second language, or not at all. Um, for non-English speaking calls, what happens? We subscribe to a service referred to as Language Line, and it's one of the industry leaders for over-the-telephone interpretation services. And we can connect to that service within about 45 seconds. So is that actually an another person on the other end? We are conferencing in an interpreter. Um, one area, too, I want to make sure that we get in today because it was just in the news recently, and it's a... 
it's a, a new service provided in the community for a very special group of people. And I'm talking about special needs tracking. I think you call it the STAR system. Technically, it's a special needs tracking uh, awareness response system. And, and I know that 911 plays a part in that. You might elaborate mm -hmm. on that. We have just begun the conversations with the Pettis County Ambulance District regarding the STARS program. And we are absolutely excited to be participating and assisting in that because we do have the first point of contact with the situation. And we can help forward that information to the responders as it becomes available. We're still working on the process and the procedures of how that information is going to be obtained and transferred between the different responding agencies, but it is an exciting point for the community that we can help those in need even more. So when you look at our overall 911 system here in Pettis County, how, where on the where on the spectrum would you say we stand as far as what we have available to us, what we can do, um, the average 911 system? Where where are we at? I'm impressed. I'm impressed because the technology software applications and resources that we have available to us, I have seen operate in much, much larger centers. Some of the software and technology that we use, they use in LA, Chicago, New York. The protocols referenced are used across all five boroughs of New York. The integrations between the resources that we have I've seen in the larger cities of LA and Chicago. And I'm impressed that all of these resources have come together in Pettis County and serving my community. So tell, tell me again, with given your total tenure in 911, you've been involved with 911 systems for how many years? 911 specific, almost 15. And not all of that here, but Correct. but still within the uh, in the system. What? But if we bring it back to local and your involvement here with local central dispatch 911, what would you identify as the greatest accomplishments over the last few years since you've been involved in this? Building the actual center or the technology stand-up uh, actually began in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. And resources were scarce, whether that be hard resources, technology, people. The pandemic itself made everything difficult. And what we did generally takes years to make happen. And... We stood up a center in nine months. What under normal conditions would take two years, we did in nine months in a pandemic. That's impressive. Absolutely. And that's what I'm proud of, that everyone in our community, our public safety community, our 911 support system, the county commission, the city of Sedalia, 
the sheriff's office, the police department, the Pettis County Ambulance District, all came together to help support the build of this agency. And we were able to do it quicker than any other agency that the Academy is able to record. According to the Academy, we hold the record for the fastest build. I, I assume, which maybe I shouldn't, but um, is your is your team members, as far as your turnover goes, relatively limited? I'm sure you your intention is to keep every qualified person you've got, but do you, do you have personnel issues? Personnel issues exist in all agencies. That's unavoidable. Um, the National Emergency Number Association has reported that 911 centers across the country are at a 30% vacancy rate. We have vacancies here locally. It's not necessarily a local issue, but rather an industry issue because there's a failure to recognize the importance of their role. It's very difficult to be involved in an emergency situation and not be recognized for that. 911 operators are not considered first responders. According to the federal government, a playground monitor is a first responder, but a 911 operator is not. Interesting. One other thing as we're winding down here that I, I want to hit very briefly, and that's the concept, you know, there's the new, is it 988 mm -hmm. uh, for uh, suicide prevention? Yes. Uh, when you have those types of calls come in, do you try to patch them on to, uh, to a 988 uh, party, or how does that work? So the processing of callers in crisis is determined by the protocols defined and given to us by the academy and guided by our local response agency. Uh, the Pettis County Ambulance District, the Sedalia Police Department, and the Pettis County Sheriff's Office, we have all come together and we work through the processes of how we're going to handle those types of callers. We do not generally transfer a call to 988, but 988 will transfer calls to us. Okay, very good. All right, we're down to our, our last minute here today. I want to thank you, Danielle, for being uh, part of our uh, program today and discussing 911. Um, obviously, there's a lot more we could have talked about, but uh, time has a way of getting away from us all the time. Thank you for being here today. And uh, to our audience, thank you for listening. And uh, we look forward to getting back to you with our next Let's Talk. Thank you.